Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. If you're struggling with fatigue, if you've been gaining weight and you have no idea why or difficulty taking it off, if you're finding that your joints are aching, your sleep is disrupted, your appetite and your hormones are off, it could be that you're struggling with hypothyroidism. And most women who are struggling with hypothyroidism have a type called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition. It's possible that if you're listening, you've already been diagnosed with Hashimoto's and you're having a really hard time figuring out what to do. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm also so pleased to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Dr. Isabella Wentz, who's joining me today. Isabella is a pharmacist. She has a doctorate in pharmacy, but she's also a woman who herself has struggled with Hashimoto's and has dedicated herself to addressing the root causes of autoimmune thyroid disease. She herself was diagnosed in 2009. Isabella is the author of the New York Times best-selling patient guide, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause, and is an ardent champion of incorporating lifestyle change and functional medicine into the treatment of autoimmune thyroid disease. Isabella is also one of the kindest and most generous women I have met, and I am so delighted to have her on the show. Thank you, Isabella, for joining me today. Aviva, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you. It's a pleasure. And we're both in different ways, sort of accidentally Hashimoto's experts, if you will. Me, because I have had just an unexpected, really shocking number of patients, especially women coming to me struggling with Hashimoto's, either with some of the symptoms I've mentioned or others and unable to find answers or having been diagnosed in the past, but really struggling to find good support from the medical community and find the right answers, both for symptom control, but also getting to the root causes. And you, I think, came at it somewhat inadvertently too with your own diagnosis. Can you tell us what led you to discovering that you had Hashimoto's? You know, well, Aviva, it's, it's, I have to give you full disclosure. I was never interested in the thyroid and pharmacy school. We had one lecture about um, thyroid disease and we covered Hashimoto's and Graves disease in that lecture. And we covered the use of thyroid medications. And um, during my time working at a pharmacy, I filled a ton of prescriptions for thyroid medications, but never really thought twice about them. Um, we do know that Synthroid, which is synthetic thyroid hormone, was the number one prescribed drug in the U.S. in 2013 and 2014. So to your point, this is a very, very common condition. And the latest statistics will say that somewhere between 13.5 and 27% of the general population in the U.S., Um, has thyroid antibodies, which indicate that they have Hashimoto's. Um, And so, as you mentioned, I was one of those people. I came to discover that I had Hashimoto's on accident. So I had had always been one of those bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kids and just had a ton of energy. I was, you know, a straight-A student and doing all sorts of after-school activities and 
working out, running around, um, being very, very active until my freshman year in college, um, in my undergraduate studies when I was um, doing all of my pre-pharmacy coursework. And all of a sudden, um, after one kind of, you know, bout of being really, really sick, um, I thought I maybe had the flu or something else. I just wasn't myself anymore after that. So I became really, really tired. And so I went from sleeping for seven, eight hours a night and waking up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to full of energy to sleeping through my morning classes. I, I once even slept through an exam. So I would need like 12 to 14 hours of sleep to, to feel rested. And then, um, you know, that eventually resolved a little bit, but I was still sleeping for 11 to 12 hours a night. And as time went on, I began to have more and more symptoms. So during pharmacy school, I started to get irritable bowel syndrome and I would, you know, basically have to run out of my classes to go to the bathroom because, um, I would not be able to control my, my stomach. I was diagnosed with IBS and told that, you know, basically it was my nerves. There was not much I could do about it other than to maybe take some medications and, and try to relax a little bit more. Um, and then as time went on after, um, after I finished pharmacy school, I started having panic attacks. After that, I started losing my hair, and then I developed acid reflux and a chronic cough, carpal tunnel in both arms, um, you know, brain fog. I was forgetting things, having panic attacks, and it just felt like I was falling apart. And I was still in my 20s, so I was um, 25 when I got married. And at that point, I remember feeling like I was falling apart because I just started to have all these, you know, odd health issues. And, and it was, you know, I had seasonal allergies where I was allergic to everything and I was constantly coughing. So I kept my husband awake in the middle of the night because of my chronic cough. And then I would have, um, you know, these anxiety attacks when he would go out running and he'd say, okay, I'll be back in 30 minutes, 35 minutes would pass. Then I'd be like, okay, where is he? Did he get run over by a car? Did he, you know, pass out or did he run off with another woman in that time? And and so I wanted some answers and I ended up, you know, of course I was getting physicals every year and telling my doctors my symptoms, but many times they basically told me that, um, it was either in my head and perhaps I needed antidepressants that the way that I was feeling was normal. And then I was just getting older, which, you know, I was 25 at the time. And then they told me that I was stressed out. And finally I got frustrated I had been working as a pharmacist then for a couple of years, so I realized that not all doctors are created equally. And at that point, I sought the advice of a doctor that had a really, really good reputation. And this doctor finally found that I had thyroid antibodies. So thyroid antibodies, um, there's a few different kinds. And I had um, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, which about 90% of people with Hashimoto's have. And um, a normal person might have a you know, a few of them here and there, generally under 35 is considered normal. Um, mine were in the 2000 range. So anything above 500 is considered aggressive. And I also had an elevated TSH, which is basically something that is a pituitary hormone that flags our own level of circulating thyroid hormones. So at that point, uh, my body was not making enough thyroid hormones and my little thyroid gland was overcompensating as it was being destroyed by immune system to try to create more of these hormones. Um, and that's basically how I found out I had Hashimoto's. And once I found out I had it, I just decided that I wanted to do everything in my power 
to be the healthiest person with the condition. Isabella, that is quite a journey. I want to emphasize something that you said, which is it took a while for you to get the help that you needed. One of the things that happens a lot in my practice is I have patients who come to me who have seen multiple physicians. And like you, I have had patients who have come to me from their doctor and have heard everything from basically, you know, either directly or indirectly being told it's all in their head and handed an antidepressant to one woman who has was gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight. And her doctor told her basically if she just had better control over her fork, she wouldn't gain the weight and she'd lose weight and just go on a diet. And the level of sort of despondency and frustration and overwhelm that women experience when they're being told this, it can actually almost start to make some women feel like they're crazy, right? You've got this person who you're supposed to be able to trust telling you there's nothing wrong with you while you know there's something wrong with you. How do you encourage women to bridge that disconnect and stay in trust with their own body and keep looking until they find the right person? You know, it's a really tough situation. A lot of women are considered, um, unfortunately, hypochondriacs by the medical system, and they're just not taken seriously. I remember one of our colleagues was telling me a story about um, uh, some statistics about if there were two people going into the emergency room with the identical symptoms and one of them happened to be female and the other one happened to be male, the male would be seen on average 20 to 40 minutes earlier than the female would be because unfortunately women are not taken as seriously by medical professionals. Um, and, and this is something that, um, you know, I never used to talk to doctors about my background. I never would say I was a pharmacist or a pharmacy student. I just sort of went in and, um, you know, told them my symptoms and expected them to, to do all the work for me. And so, um, I really encourage people to, make sure that they take charge of their own health and that they become an educated consumer, educated patient. Um, For me, it took me, um, let's see, I started having symptoms in 2000 and it wasn't until 2009 until I was finally diagnosed. And it was really at my own insistence because I was looking at um, really doing more comprehensive testing. And I said, hey, I've been tested for all these different things before and nothing came up positive. Can you do some more deep testing? I don't think it's normal for a woman in her 20s to sleep for 11 hours a night. And so um, one of the things I recommend for women to do is actually prepare for your doctor's visit like you would prepare for you know, a recital or for an interview. So you write out your talking points and you write out exactly what you want to say to your doctor and you write out what tests you want to ask for. And some of the reasons why you may want to ask for those tests. So in the case of thyroid disease, you know, if you have some of the symptoms that Aviva and I were talking about, looking at your TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, which is TPO antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, as well as free T3, free T4, these are some of the tests to ask for. And then um, the next thing you could do is write down a list of symptoms that you think you might have and that might be related and just presenting that to your doctor in a very calm manner and just, um, you know, perhaps mentioning if, if whether it's true or not that you maybe have some family history 
um, of this particular disorder that always encourages um, doctors to be a little bit more aggressive with the testing. The other thing that I always recommend, and this is so important, is always, always, always ask for a copy of your test results. So I can't tell you how many times I've talked to women who said that their thyroid function tested normal. And then um, later on, they would get their test results and it would be abnormal. When I used to work as a consultant pharmacist, one of my jobs was to make sure people were optimized on their medications. And part of that was looking at the labs, you know, that they were, were doing to monitor their medications. And I can't tell you how many times um, there were times where the labs were completely missed. And, you know, doctors and healthcare professionals are human too. So you want to make sure that you're always that second set of eyes that's looking at your labs. Um, and making sure that they really are good-looking labs. Um, one thing to note that's really important is the TSH number. So that number used to be um, basically very, very overly lax. So there was uh, a time when the doctor would say, if you have a TSH up to 10, then your thyroid is normal. We now know that um, a woman with normal thyroid function, quote-unquote, should have a TSH somewhere around 1%. I would say, you know, to widen that up a bit, maybe between 0.5 and 2 is where most women feel their best. Um, and so if you're anything above that, that would be an indication that something's going on. So um, an interesting little thing that I didn't know before is that when scientists determine the reference range of, um, you know, a particular blood test, they'll basically take a bunch of people's blood and pull it together and then they'll figure out what the average numbers are within, within that pool of blood. And when they did that with, um, with thyroid numbers, they actually had people with thyroid disease in there. So then the reference range was overly lax. So really getting a copy of your test results and preparing for your doctor's meeting is um, two of the steps I recommend. And if you have a doctor that doesn't listen to you, just know that there are plenty of them out there, you know, like Dr. Aviva Ram, for example, that <laughs> will take the time to listen to you and that will be an advocate for you. Those are great points, Isabella. I agree. I really encourage women to go into the doctor's office much less as a patient and much more as a consumer. If you think of yourself as a patient, and it's hard not to because when you feel unwell and you don't know what's wrong, you can feel very vulnerable. That's normal. But to kind of do some power poses before, you know, put your hands on your hips, do some power poses, practice your script, have notes with you, and possibly even bring another woman friend or your sister or somebody who can come in as an advocate can also kind of increase your sense of confidence. And it's very true. The difference between the reference range is what's sort of considered normal versus what's considered healthy. And the normal just means literally the norm. It's just an average of anybody out there. But studies that have looked at when people actually have optimal thyroid function, like they're not showing any symptoms, their TSH is usually under 2.5. So it is pretty interesting. But most doctors are still operating on that sort of 4.8 as the upper you know, as the place where they'll start to diagnose thyroid disorder for TSH. And the crazy thing is you can go into your doctor's office with, you know, every thyroid symptom in the book. And if the lower limit of normal is 4.8 and you're 4.6, your doctor might still say you're normal. It's sort of like saying that a water pot that's simmering isn't boiling. It doesn't really serve women very well, but it can be hard. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of women who have felt very demoralized 
and confused. So taking that consumer attitude can be really, really important. What are the top issues that you're seeing in people with Hashimoto's? Um, You know, so some of the symptoms that people struggle with are going to be, I would say the top top symptoms are going to be fatigue. So feeling really, really tired is going to be a big thing that people complain about. And then um, an inability to lose weight or gaining too much weight, even when you're doing the same exact thing that your friend is doing, um, eating the same amount of calories and exercising the same way. And then also um, a lot of times people will have mood disturbances and this can present as brain fog. This can present as depression. This can present as anxiety, especially in the early stages of Hashimoto's. And they also look like bipolar disorder. Um, So these are some of the, I would say, the top symptoms I see. Um, Isabella, what are some of the root causes that you see that are bringing women to your website to come to you for consultations? And what I'm particularly curious about is what was often going on for the women who are coming to you right before or at the time that they started to have symptoms that made them wonder if they had Hashimoto's? For example, did they have a viral infection? Did they just have a baby? What are some of the most common things that you're seeing? You know, so looking at the root causes of Hashimoto's, if, if I would have, if I could categorize them and put them in separate buckets, I would say some of the top issues that are contributing to Hashimoto's are going to be food sensitivities, nutrient depletions, an impaired ability to handle stress, infections inside or outside of the gut, as well as um, impaired ability to get rid of toxins. And, you know, just speaking with thousands of women from around the world with Hashimoto's, there are some common patterns that I've been able to catch. And so some of the interesting things that uh, women will report prior to developing Hashimoto's, they usually have a period of really intense stress in their lives. So this could be something like um, going through a divorce, um, perhaps having a baby. So we know childbirth, um, postpartum is a very common time for women to be, begin to have thyroid issues. You know, the loss of a loved one, unfortunately, is a very common time when um, shortly thereafter people will develop um, thyroid issues as well as other types of autoimmune conditions. So stress has very, very intimately been connected with Hashimoto's. Um, some of the other things that happen and that I've also seen is um, people can have gut infections as an initiator of Hashimoto's. So in some cases, somebody will travel abroad and then they'll get um, food poisoning and um, they'll feel really awful for a few days and, and then eventually they'll kind of um, come out of it and, and they'll think that things have worked themselves out. But five to 10 years down the line, they'll start having symptoms and eventually they'll get diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And um, other types of infections, especially the Epstein-Barr virus, can also play a role. So some women will find that they'll have a bout of mono, also um, known as um, glandular fever in the UK, which usually happens, um, you know, most people get this condition at some point in their lives. Um, The important thing to keep in mind is if you get it as a child, you're likely going to be asymptomatic and the immune system suppresses it properly. But as you become older, um, so let's say you get it high school, college age or older, um, your immune system is going to have a tougher time fighting it. And so there have been um, quite a few different autoimmune conditions as well as chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia and Hashimoto's that have been 
connected with um, basically being triggered by the Epstein-Barr virus. And there was an interesting study just published in Poland within the last year or so that talked about um, a big percentage, I, I believe it was somewhere around 80% of women with Hashimoto's had um, the virus in, inside of their actual thyroid glands, which was very, very interesting. And then there's also um, toxic exposures that can contribute to the development of Hashimoto's. So this is not, you know, I wouldn't say this is a very, very common thing, but I like to often talk about it. But people who've been um, exposed to mold, um, you know, they go into a, a new home or an old home and they're mold exposed. They can later on go to develop Hashimoto's as well as, um, you know, women who have had um, breast implants. So getting breast implants, some women have been able to trace back. Um, I always have my clients do a t- health timeline to go back and write down all of the different events they've had in their lives and try to cor- correlate them to the onset of their symptoms. And quite a few women have correlated, um, you know, having breast implants as something that um, preceded the, the onset of their health issues. And so that's, that's basically anything that can stress you out, destroy your gut, or over, overburden your um, ability to get rid of toxins, which, of course, mold and then um, having a foreign body inside of your body can do. You know, Isabella, your point to the Epstein-Barr virus, I have had so many patients in the past number of years that come to me, they're fatigued, they don't know why, their joints are aching, they're just feeling run down. And it's gotten to the point where so many have tested positive for active EBV, either acute new onset or reinfection if they've had it before, that now I automatically check for Epstein-Barr virus infection in all women that I'm checking for hypothyroid, with the exception of new moms, because we know that postpartum in itself can be a, a cause of, you know, just having had a baby can be a cause. And uh, I had an interesting uh, case of a woman a couple of years ago when you talked about stressors and mold. It was very interesting. It was a woman whose mother-in-law had passed away, and she had a kind of a difficult relationship with her mother-in-law. And so she and her partner, her husband, went to clean out the mother-in-law's house of her belongings, and the house was filled with mold. And so she had this, you know, stress in her life. And then at the same time, as she was cleaning out all these old books and fabrics, she got a major mold exposure. And then a few days later, her throat swelled up and she really had a very acute onset of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And I've seen these kind of same insults. I had one uh, patient, when you speak about gut health, who had a very pretty acute, like three months onset of really extreme fatigue. Like she had been working at the same job for over a decade and had two kids and suddenly had to cut back on her work by 50% because she, she was so tired. She couldn't go to work full time. And then she was also having really severe bloating. And she got diagnosed with Hashimoto's by her primary doctor, but then she came to me because she was still having the bloating and she had just gotten diagnosed. So she hadn't started medication yet. And I tested her for celiac disease because she had some other symptoms that made me wonder. Mm -hmm. And in fact, her celiac antibodies came back really high in addition to her thyroid antibodies. And 
you can be negative for celiac antibodies and still have celiac, but when your celiac antibodies come back positive, you have celiac disease. And we treated the celiac, we treated her gut, and we got all the gluten and gluten cross-reactives out, and her antibodies came down and her thyroid normalized. She never actually had to start on thyroid medication. So it was a really interesting situation. Yeah, that's um, that's a really, really exciting um, case that you were able to share. And I, I find that for people with Hashimoto's, you know, if they have celiac disease and Hashimoto's, about 20% of them um, just going on a gluten-free diet will be able to go into remission um, from the majority of their symptoms. And in many cases, they can normalize their thyroid antibodies and even normalize their thyroid function if they were previously in like a subclinical state. Um, so this was one of the first things that I learned about when I was going through my own journey was the connection between gluten and the thyroid, which is huge. Um, and so, you know, of course, women with, um, if you have one autoimmune condition, you're more likely to have um, additional autoimmune conditions. So, um, you know, with with Hashimoto's, we're looking at anywhere from 1.5 to 15% of people with Hashimoto's, depending on where the studies were done, um, having celiac disease as well. But what's more interesting, I think, is that it's not just people who have celiac disease um, that benefit from a gluten-free diet. So um, I personally do not have celiac disease, um, but I felt so much better off of gluten and dairy. And um, this is a big recommendation that's across the board, something I recommend for all of my clients with Hashimoto's, whether or not they have celiac disease. I Last May, I did a survey of 2,232 people with Hashimoto's, which to my knowledge is the biggest lifestyle intervention survey done for, um, you know, for people with Hashimoto's and 88% of them said that they felt better gluten-free while only three and a half percent had celiac disease, which, you know, basically going with the rates of celiac disease in the general Hashimoto's population, that makes sense. It's somewhere in the middle there. So Hashimoto's and gluten these two just don't mix. So if you have Hashimoto's, I highly recommend going on a gluten-free trial for at least three months to see if that helps you. And if you're like 88% of my readers, chances are you'll feel much, much better off of gluten. I agree. The connection between gluten and gut inflammation and then the further development of chronic inflammation and autoimmunity is so significant. And I agree. I do the same thing. Three months is a good trial period. And I usually tell people, look, if you're feeling a lot better at the end of three months, don't even retry it because why trigger all that inflammation again? Just stay off it and give yourself a good year off of it before you even think about introducing it again. Isabella, you mentioned, and we were talking about celiac disease and a certain percentage of women with celiac. One of the things that you and I both really value is being able to help women with as natural approach as possible. But, and, and I have to tell you, in my practice, I, I honestly don't even have a prescription pad. I call in prescriptions relatively infrequently. I very rarely write prescriptions for medications because I do find that these other lifestyle, nutritional, and supplement interventions can be so helpful. But I have found that with Hashimoto's, quite a large number of women do benefit from, and if they've been on medication in the past or are starting medication, often do need to stay on it, even with the other interventions. You know, I find that the other interventions 
can heal the root causes and prevent further diseases from developing. I have found that using interventions to remove dietary triggers, viral infections, stress, etc., can help me to minimize the dose of medication. But it's one of the conditions that I do find that medication can be valuable and is often needed for long-term. What's your experience and thoughts on this? You know, Aviva, I have the, the same experience with that. Um, so with, you know, with any kind of condition, um, obviously prevention is much, much easier. So um, for example, with Hashimoto's, what's happening is basically the immune system begins to attack the thyroid gland and starts to destroy the thyroid gland. So of course, it's much easier to prevent progression of further destruction than it is to regenerate thyroid tissue. Um, in some cases, thyroid tissue can regenerate. Um, so I do have some clients who, um, who didn't even have celiac, who had other types of root causes where they've been able to reduce their dosage of medication or um, get off of medication. And sometimes it could be because, you know, for example, they had an H. pylori infection, so they weren't absorbing their medications correctly, therefore they had to take bigger doses. Once you eradicate the H. pylori infection, which is um, a stomach infection, then um, they no longer needed to have the same doses. Um, and sometimes there's cross-reactive antibodies that maybe block the availability of, of thyroid hormones to do their job versus the antibodies that work on destroying the thyroid gland or market for destruction. So there's different types of um, antibodies that can be present with Hashimoto's. And so, um, you know, I would say that in a, you know, in a very long-winded way, um, it's, it's kind of unpredictable with who can get off of medications with Hashimoto's. I've definitely had some people who, um, you know, I would say, I, I, would, I used to think that it was women who were younger and had the condition for a shorter amount of time and perhaps women who were um, diagnosed postpartum, that those conditions you would be more likely to see um, them being able to get off of medications versus older women. But I, you know, I've been surprised because I've had some women who did all the right things and they still um, continued on medications. And of course, medications um, are often a part of feeling their best. And then I've had some women who you know, were older and had the condition for much longer and we're able to get off of medication. So it's very much individualized. I would say for the majority of people, probably something like 80% will, will need to remain on medications with Hashimoto's. And um, I don't think of medications as a life sentence. I think there's something to, um, to really help you feel better. As a pharmacist, um, obviously I studied medications for quite a long time, and um, I could tell you there's a variety of different medications out there, and some of them I consider to be dirty drugs because they impact so many different receptors and, and can have a lot of different adverse reactions. With thyroid medications, they're actually the same hormone that our bodies naturally produce. So um, the biggest risks of having side effects from thyroid medications are going to be if you're under-medicated or over-medicated from them. So um, personally, I'm a very big fan of thyroid medications, and I'm also a big fan of treating the person where they're at and treating the individual and not necessarily subscribing to any dogmas. You know, my, my thing is dogmas can be dangerous because, you know, to say that you have to do everything naturally or to say that you have to do everything through medications, you know, you want to make sure that you're, you know, as a, as a patient or as a clinician, that you're not kind of trying to put somebody in a box and that you're open to all different types of interventions that can help because, 
you know, as, as we know, there are things in the natural world that are amazing. And then there's also things in um, Western medicine that can be very, very um, beneficial to patients. I agree with you with the thyroid medication. I like that expression, dirty drugs. And there are so many medications that are prescribed that suppress the body's natural functions or overdrive the the natural functions of the body. But hormone replacement in this case is literally all that it is. Your body's not producing something and the thyroid medication is simply replacing what your body isn't producing either for the time being or indefinitely, depending on whether your thyroid can regenerate and depending on what the root cause is. So I'm also a big fan of them. What are some of the medications or what is maybe the top medication that you would usually start with, with the clients that you're working with? Do you have a go-to or a couple of go-tos that you can talk about? Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, so we talked about Synthroid being the number one prescribed medication in the U.S. And so that is a synthetic version of thyroid hormone, um, specifically T4, which is one of our active thyroid hormones. Um, T4 needs to be converted to T3, which is more active than T4. And I like to think of T3 as our kind of like go hormone. So we know that we have um, thyroid hormone receptors in every cell in our body. And, um, you know, T3, I like to think of it as helping our our metabolism really kick into gear, helping us with our energy levels and helping us, you know, grow beautiful, shiny hair. Um, And so many people, many endocrinologists will say that most people with Hashimoto's and thyroid issues can be stabilized on Synthroid, which is the T4 only medication, and that the body should be able to convert T4 to T3 on its own. This is known as, you know, a pro-drug in pharmacological terms or a pro-hormone for listeners at home. Um, But, you know, as a pharmacist, and I'm sure as an integrative doc, you've seen the same, is that that just doesn't seem to be the case. If I, you know, endocrinologists will say that 90 to 95% of people um, should be fine and stable on T4-only medications where I would say the reverse is, is true. And perhaps I'm biased because, you know, the people that would come to me at the pharmacy to ask me questions about their medications or people that come to my website or that come to consult with me now are generally going to be people that don't feel well on their current medications. So my usual um, recommendation is working with a doctor that knows how to um, prescribe medications that are known as combination thyroid medications Um, these are going to have both the T4 in them as well as the more active T3 pre-converted. Some of them are naturally derived. So they're known as the natural desiccated thyroid medications. And this would be something like Armour Thyroid, Nature Thyroid, or WP Thyroid. Um, And these are generally, um, I would say out of those, WP Thyroid is probably my favorite because it has the fewest amount of fillers. And in some cases, I also recommend working with a compounding pharmacist um, to get T4 and T3 made into specialized compounds. And, and a lot of times the compounds can be made ultra hypoallergenic um, and are going to be, you know, easier to absorb for people who are very, very sensitive to, you know, even, even the most mild of the fillers. Isabella, what do you recommend for women who are looking for a physician in their community? It can be really hard to find a doctor who is willing to listen and uh, work with 
you if you're looking for alternatives. I get a lot of emails. It's one of the most common emails I get. Where do I find a physician who practices like you do? What do you recommend to women who are looking for a physician? You know, that, that's one of the, my most common questions as well. So um, some resources, um, going to the Institute of Functional Medicine, and they have a doctor database there. Um, I actually started a doctor database on my website, thyroidpharmacist.com, just because we were getting so many questions. And so we now have um, patients who submit their favorite doctors in there. Um, so we have a database there. And then another trick that I like to recommend is going to your local compounding pharmacist and asking them who they recommend, who the good thyroid doctors in your area are, because um, chances are if they know how to prescribe compounded thyroid medications or the natural desiccated thyroid medications, they're going to have much more of an integrative approach to to treating thyroid patients. So that's kind of one of those um, pharmacist secrets that I've always used and I recommend the same to my clients. That's great. I do the same with, uh, you know, you can ask your local licensed naturopath or acupuncturist or midwives. They often know who the more open-minded good docs are in the community. Absolutely. So, you know, if you have a wonderful network of um, integrated-minded practitioners in your area, if you have somebody you love um, or have a friend that has a great recommendation, then um, that's oftentimes the, the best way to get somebody to work with. Isabella, I would love to give our listeners the thyroid pharmacist top five things that they can do right now as soon as we get off the call, as soon as they're done listening and doing whatever they're doing while they're listening to us chat, that they can get started doing toward a solution for healing themselves. Um, so one of the big things that I recommend if you've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's or um, any kind of autoimmune condition is make a list of things that make you feel better and make you feel worse um, and then start doing more of the things that make you feel better. So a lot of times my clients will say that going on walks, taking hot baths, taking naps, um, you know, doing yoga, getting a massage are all um, the part of things that make them feel better. Um, on the other hand, things like getting stressed out, procrastination, traffic, um, going hungry, being cold, being in a, you know, in a very um, uncomfortable environment, those are some things that make them feel worse. So really figuring out what your, your top things that make you feel better is going to be a really great start for you. Um, the other thing I would recommend is working on balancing your blood sugar. So um, I don't think we talked about blood sugar and how important it is with um, with thyroid issues and autoimmunity, but something like 50% of people with thyroid issues are going to have blood sugar issues. And a lot of times anxiety and brain fog um, and even an increase in thyroid antibodies can be caused by blood sugar swings. So um, one of the things that I recommend is starting your day with a green smoothie where you would put an avocado, maybe some, um, I like to recommend usually pea protein and hypoallergenic source of protein, some coconut milk, and then a whole bunch of green veggies and maybe, maybe just a tiny amount of berries or some other fruit and blend that up and, you know, start your day off with that. So to get yourself on a really, um, blood sugar stable day. So a lot of times we're eating carbohydrates where we're eating, um, you know, toast or even fruit or skipping breakfast, and that can really set us off on some blood sugar swings throughout the day. Um, the other thing that I recommend for, for women with Hashimoto's, and, and this is something that's generally going to be safe for most people, um, is taking a selenium supplement. Uh, 200 micrograms of selenium methionine has been shown to reduce thyroid antibodies and improve um, 
in some cases, thyroid function over the course of three months. So this is something that can be very, very helpful. Uh, number four would be going gluten-free. If you're not already gluten-free, that's a really, really important step that you can take to making yourself feel better. And then number five is, um, is actually going dairy-free. So um, 88% of people felt better off of gluten in my, in my study, and 80% felt better off of dairy. For me personally, dairy was a really, really big trigger and was causing my irritable bowel syndrome, my chronic cough, and then my carpal tunnel. So um, figuring out your food sensitivities is going to be really important, gluten and dairy being the biggest ones. So if you um, haven't done those, gotten off of those, then I would recommend that you do so. And um, if you already have done those, then perhaps doing some food sensitivity testing or an elimination diet, those may be some more advanced strategies. That's fabulous. Isabella, are there any additional supplements that you feel are just absolutes for folks who are struggling with Hashimoto's to get started on? Um, so one of the supplements that is, is something that's really inexpensive and can be very, very helpful for thyroid-related fatigue is known as thiamine. Um, the key is you want to take 600 milligrams of it. So you can either do thiamine, which is B1 over-the-counter, or you can buy something called benfotiamine, which is uh, a more absorbable version of it, and take 600 milligrams of it per day. Within the course of three to five days, if you were fatigued and thiamine deficiency was causing your fatigue, you should see an increase in your energy levels. And um, this is one of those hacks that a lot of people have tried from, from reading it on my website. And I've had random people come up to me at conferences and give me hugs because of you know my thiamine article. Um, and another thing that I always recommend is making sure that you get your vitamin D levels um, checked. So vitamin D is not something that I would supplement willy-nilly because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, so you can get too much of it. So you're looking at levels of about 60 to 80, um, which are going to be optimal, in, you know, in my opinion, for, for, for optimized thyroid health. So um, vitamin D3 is something that I would recommend for that. Um, most people with autoimmune disease are going to be deficient in vitamin D. Um, most of my clients that have gone into remission from Hashimoto's I usually see that their vitamin D levels are somewhere between 60 and 80, and they've been optimized on that. Isabella, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I love it when I'm talking with someone who also practices so similarly, because it just sort of adds strength to what we're doing and to what each of our respective listeners are hearing from us. I really respect what you do. And also your generosity in how much you give away. You've got amazing content over at your website, www.thyroidpharmacist.com. If anyone's not familiar with Isabella, I really do hope you'll follow her. And if you're struggling with symptoms and you're not sure why, there are other medical conditions, anemia, adrenal fatigue, other things that can be causing what looks like hypothyroid. But if you are struggling with any of these symptoms, hypothyroid is always the first thing to put on the top of your list to rule out while you're looking for these other things. If you're looking for more information on testing, great natural treatments, medications, please check out Isabella Wentz, the thyroid pharmacist at www.thyroidpharmacist.com. And certainly please check out Isabella's book, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis Lifestyle Interventions, for finding and treating the root cause. Isabella, thank you so 
much for your generosity and for joining us today and sharing so much of your personal experience as well as your knowledge and wisdom from working with so many folks who have reached out to you over the years for what you have to offer and share. Thank you so much, Aviva. It's been such a pleasure connecting with you. And Isabel, you guys dropped me a note and said there's a special free gift over at www.thyroidpharmacist.com backslash gift also. So I'm going to mention that as a little extra incentive to head folks over your way, although I'm sure by now they're convinced that they need to be following you and seeing what you're doing. I look forward to having (laughs) you on the show again and wish you all the best. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This has been Dr. Viva Ram, Natural MD Radio, with Dr. Isabella Wentz signing off for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.